All right, my name is Brandon. If you're new, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at, uh, at Sojourn Heights. And we're in the middle of our annual one series where we talk one gospel, one church, one mission. And, and last week we, uh, we opened up with one gospel and talked about um, Christ, this man of uh, eternal divine authority, laying that divine authority down uh, for us and for our redemption. And then today we, uh, we pick up one church and we're going to talk about who she is uh, and, and what she does. And so let's, uh, let's get started. There's a, a lot of talk in our Western culture that we live in about authenticity, right? So uh, um, I, I have to figure out what's true for me, be true for me, and uh, be true to myself. And if I'm not, I'm being inauthentic. And if I am, uh, I'm being authentic. And um, this is not new. It's nothing new. When I was a teenager, I went through a skateboarding phase. Um, it lasted like nine hours. I didn't get how you rolled on the wheels. And it was incredibly painful. Uh, I was good at it. Uh, I, I wasn't good at it. Uh, anyway, I went through a skateboarding phase. In the middle of this phase, right, when someone would show up and they'd be wearing their skater clothes and on their skateboard, and, uh, and we knew this guy was trying to fit in, what would we call him? We would call him a poser, right? We would say, man, I guess it's a poser. And the reality was I was the poser, right? I, uh, I didn't like skateboarding. I just wanted to fit in with these people, but we would call them a poser. Um, but then we grow up and we become adults and our language just, it gets a little bit more sophisticated, but at its core, it's the same. Right, so we become adults, and, and we say things um, like this: "I have to find out what's true for me, and be true to it. I've got to find out what's true to me, and be true to it." And so it's not external pressure; it becomes internal pressure, and life becomes about self-discovery. Right, I've got to discover my true self, um, and that is the authentic me. And here's the root of it. Here's the root of this. The root of this is found in personal autonomy. Right, so I, I am an autonomous person. I'm, I'm my autonomous self. I am free to discover what's true and not true for me, and then I'm free to live out of that truth. But here's, um, here's the problem. Here's the problem. That, that gets described as the authentic self. If you don't believe me, Google it. Um, but here's the problem. There's actually no such thing as an autonomous person. There's no such thing as an autonomous person. Right, all of us, all of us see the world, we see truth, we see hope, fear, love shaped through a cultural context. Right, so whether you were born in America or born in Africa, whether you're born in uh, River Oaks or Fifth Ward, where your parents married or the divorce, all of us have a culture and a context that shapes the way we see the world. And all of our self discovery, all of our self discovery, is culturally informed. There is no such thing as an autonomous person. And so the scriptures are going to say, um, this is the collision that's going to come with the Bible. Um, it's going to say we're actually not wired. We've actually not been designed for autonomous self-discovery. They're, they're going to say that we've been designed and we've been wired for a life of imitation. And then they're going to say, and this is going to be controversial, uh, maybe to some of you, maybe to none of you, but uh, but, I, but I think it's true, and out of the scriptures, it's going to say that the only way to a truly authentic life is in faith in Christ. Now, you want to you want to live a life of authenticity. You you want this uh, this this genuinely I'm an authentic me. I'm my own like you want that kind of authentic life. It can only be found through faith in Christ. And if you disagree with me, just stay with me. All right, stay with me. 
But right now, let's jump into the text. Matthew 28, verse um, 16. I'm just going to read through. Uh, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. All right, so this was last week. We said, uh, last week we said that, that, that the way this is written, all 11 worship, some of the 11 doubt. All 11 worship, some 11 doubt, and that, that worship and doubt are not incompatible, and that sojourn is and will be and become a safe place to bring your doubts, a safe place to bring your hurts, fears, anxieties, all things that would bubble under the uh, umbrella of doubt. This is a safe place to bring them. Because what Matthew knows is that Jesus is a safe place to bring them. Now let's keep reading. Verse 18, and Jesus said, eh, not and said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this, this phrase, uh, in heaven and on earth, this is uh, distinctively kingdom language for Jesus. This is Jesus using uh, a phrase that would have triggered distinctive kingdom thoughts in the minds of the disciples and I heard him say it because it uh, it's not really new all right so it would have echoed back when they heard it to Matthew 6 uh, where Jesus is in the middle of the Lord's prayer and he says it says our father our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so when they heard Jesus um, say this all authority in heaven and on earth it would have flagged back to Matthew 6 in this kingdom language within the prayer. But they would have also known that when, that, that when, when Jesus prayed that, that would have flagged something else uh, in their minds from Matthew 6 and would have flagged and echoed Genesis 1, 27 to 28 that says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so to paraphrase this little section of Genesis uh, 1, it's uh, go uh, bear my image, represent the king, fill the earth, and bring the earth under the rule and reign of the king. All right, so in Matthew 28, when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth, it would have flagged Matthew 6, but Matthew 6 would have flagged Genesis 1. And so here's what the disciples would have heard when they heard all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They would have known that what's next is how we live out and fulfill Matthew. And by Matthew, I mean Genesis 1. So this kingdom language um, flags back to Genesis 1. And so what comes next in verse 19 is how we live out and how we fulfill Genesis 1. Here it is. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Here's how we fulfill and live out Genesis 1, go therefore and make disciples. How do we extend the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God from where we are to the ends of the earth? Go therefore and make disciples. But to understand this, we, we, need, to talk, uh, we need to talk grammar. And you need to let me be a grammar nerd and a language nerd and, uh, and have some fun with this for a minute and we'll all just pretend like talking about grammar is fun, okay? Um, go therefore, go therefore. In the original language, there, there are some things that when you're translating the Bible, it's just really hard to bring them through, right? So if you've ever learned a foreign language, uh, you know when you take something from English to Spanish or Spanish to French, there's just things that, that in the translation, it's just hard to bring through, right? Does that make sense? Am I just talking to me right now? 
Okay, good. We're all together. This is what's happening right here. Go therefore. Go therefore is a passive participle, which means an ongoing action that happens to you. Make disciples is an active participle, an ongoing action that you do. And so let me translate active passive first. It it means this. Here's what the passive go therefore means. It, it means that you're not nearly as in, cro- in control of where you live as you think you are. It means that you're not nearly as in control of where you think you live, uh, of where you live as you think you are. It, it, it means that, that what you're in control of is what you do when you're there. Right? So some of you, um, some of you in here, you think, man, I'm, I'm in Houston and I'm here for six months. Right, like I'm here for six months, I've got this job, I'm going to do this cycle thing, and then I'm out. Or I'm here for school, and I'm here for two years, and then I'm out. And some of you think, I'm, I'm here for 60 years, man. Like, H-Town, baby, I'm all the Texans all day long. By the way, Cowboys game tonight, we'll make that members meeting nice and tight, okay? Texans play at noon, nobody cares about that. Cowboys at 7.30, I think, 7.30. doesn't matter, they're going to win. Um, what was I talking about? Yes, this, I, some of you think, man, I'm, I'm here for three years, some of you think 60 years, and, and here's what the scriptures would say, neither of you know what you're talking about. Like, neither one of you have a clue what you're talking about. And it would also say that you're not supposed to know what you're talking about. It, you don't know where you're going to live in a year, in two years, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 60 years. You don't know anything about that. What you do know is what you're responsible to do today while you're here. That's what you know. That's what you know. You're, you're not supposed to know the future. You're supposed to be faithful in what the Lord has called you to today, here and now. And then the participle piece. It's as you're going, be making disciples. It's, it's this discipleship in the ordinary, every day. It's why events. Let me just talk about Sojourn. I'm not contrasting to other churches. I, I love all churches that love Christ and hold up the honor and fame and glory of Jesus. But it's why at Sojourn, events are not the backbone of what we do. Now listen, we're not opposed to events, right? We're not anti-event. We do events. In fact, uh, we'll talk more about events that we're going to do at the end of the sermon, right? We, we just did a forum. We, we're, we're planning our next forum. We, uh, we'll come back. I'll talk about that in the end. I'm jumping way ahead in the sermon. But we're not anti-events. It's just not the backbone of what we do because people make disciples of people. Because what we believe is that you need one another. You need this community of men and women that you can rub shoulders with and come alongside and make disciples of and be known by and know. It's why we push you into and plead with you to connect to a neighborhood parish, to dive in. And then once you're in that neighborhood parish, stop pretending. Like stop showing up on Wednesday and on Tuesday and on Thursday and on saying and just acting like everything is okay. That's why we plead with you to be vulnerable with people, to let other people speak into your life. Listen, I, I know the fear. I, I know the f- I'm a, I love my job. I have the greatest job in the world. And one of the fears of pastors is if I tell people how I'm really doing, will they see me as a pastor anymore? It's this weird, silly game that I play. And so I know the fear of looking at a room of people that you know a little bit and saying, hey, I'm really not doing that well. And 
and I really need help. But listen, part of the way that we make disciples of one another is in our honesty with one another that we have an honest, real starting place to begin from. And that doesn't happen until we're honest with each other. It doesn't happen until we're vulnerable with one another. That there is a freedom that comes in Christ that says, I can say to you, my marriage doesn't always go well. I can say to you, hey, listen, man, I've got this guy in my accounting firm who is just lights out, and I'm really not. And I get up every day, and I go to work feeling insecure. Or I look around, and I, I see everybody getting married and having babies, and nobody's asking me out. And I'm crushed on the inside by it. There's a freedom that Christ says you can look at other people and say, this is how I'm really doing. And out of that, we have, have this honest, real starting place to make disciples of one another. It's how we push you in to people that the kingdom of God is expanded as we make disciples of one another. And there's two ways uh, the text is going to say this is how. Matthew's got two things he wants to zero us in on here in the text. Let's keep reading. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here's the question. How do we make disciples in this text? How do we make disciples? Answer, baptizing and teaching. Or if I could translate that and say it another way, introducing people to Jesus and teaching them how to live. We introduce people to Jesus and then we teach them how to live. That baptism represents this, this day where your life and Christ just collide and become woven together and you become washed in the grace of Christ or that day when you're introduced to Jesus and then teaching them how to live. We, uh, we, we model, we show, we teach people this is what it looks like to follow Christ, that all that he commanded and flagged that word, that it wasn't uh, things that Jesus said, hey, I think you probably should do this, you should do These were commands of Christ. This was, if you want to be my disciple, you go and you live like this. These were commands. And then that, that word observe, it means to obey. It means to persist in obedience. It means to obey, take what Jesus said and obey it. But here's the um, here's the problem. Listen, it's a problem for me. I, I'm sure it's a problem for you, but let me just say it. The, the problem is that I don't want to. Right? It's not just that I can't. It's not that I can't, that I struggle. It's that if I were honest with you, like if, if, I, if I were to sit with my neighborhood parish and I were to say, Here, here's the real issue, guys. I don't want to obey. Like I, I don't want to look at what Jesus said and just do it all the time. Right? I want to be an autonomous person, free to discover what's true for me and live out of that. That's what I want. I want to be free to discover my own truth. Why? Romans 5.19. 519a, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That I was born in Adam. I was born into Adam. And I was born innately disobedient, which means self-discovery apart from Christ. Apart from, apart from the intervention of Jesus in my life, self-discovery leads me to Adam. Being born in Adam means that my own self-discovery, apart from Christ, leads me to Adam. And in Adam, we have to live a life of suppressing desires, right? You, in, in, we constantly have to suppress our desires. Let me give you one example. 
greed. Everybody uh, would, would, would say uh, greed is bad. But would also say, most people, that greed is natural. Right? And so what we have to do um, is we have to take this natural desire and we have to kind of suppress it. We have to just kind of maintain it because we, what we do know is that if greed were to run wild in my life, if I would just open the floodgate to greed and said, go ahead and take over and run after me, either I end up a bank robber or Bernie Madoff. And so I've got to suppress it. I've got to manage it. I've got to control that. That apart from Christ, I have to live a life of suppressing my natural desires. And you uh, hear that, and you, and you might think, and you might say, well, fair, Brandon, but, but Christians have to suppress desires too. Uh, and I would say, uh, yeah, kind of, but not really, right? So yes, kind of. Like when I'm on the freeway, uh, and I'm rolling in my minivan, and that's right, I drive a minivan, and I love it. I don't love it, actually. We bought a new one a couple days ago, and I had the customer service person call me uh, and say, hey, I just want to check and see if you're happy with your purchase. And I was like, lady, I just bought a minivan. Is anybody ever really happy with that purchase? <laughs> I mean, right decision, nobody's cracking open the bubbly, all right? And so, uh, but I drive a minivan. And so when I'm on the freeway and somebody cuts me off and I want to ram them with my minivan and show them I'm in charge of this road, I have to suppress that. Got to just keep that under wraps, right? Because unless it's like a Civic, I'm not in charge of the road, okay? I don't know what. I don't know what. I used to drive a Civic. I wish I could have a It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but not really. So kind of yes. But not really, uh, because the objective of Christianity isn't to suppress desires, it's to take my natural desires and to bring them in line with Christ's desires. That's the objective. So kind of, but not really. Not, not really. But it's not natural. Uh, and no one escapes Adam. And no one can just grab a desire and change it, right? Who, who's ever tried that one? Like, who's, who's, who's had this, this natural desire in them that they knew Man, this is not honorable. This is not good. This is going to destroy my life. Uh, and would say, I've, I've tried to just grab that desire, yank it over here, get that desire in line, and it hasn't worked for me. That was for, I mean, so nobody just, okay. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work for anybody, right? Because what Adam is what's natural. So where do we go? We go to Romans 5.19b. For just as by, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. An obedience of Christ in his life and in his death. And what was his death? His death was but a baptism. Mark 10.38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. The cup woven throughout the Old Testament, this foreshadow to the drinking in of God's wrath. And then here's what one theologian said on this, and I, I wanted to just articulate it and say it myself, but I couldn't say it better than this. So I want to read it to you. The cup that he was to drink. The cup that he was to drink was the cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on him bearing God's wrath in the place of sinful mankind 
and His baptism. His baptism was His suffering and death which would pour over Him like a flood. But on the cross, here's what happened. Here's what happened on the cross. That Jesus was baptized into the wrath of the Father so that you and I could be baptized into the grace of God. And that what poured over Him like a flood was wrath so that what could pour over us like a flood is mercy. And that in Christ now, now in Christ, I have a real chance to live my most authentic self because my authentic self now can be Christ in me. I don't have to live a life of suppressing my desires anymore. My new life in Christ now can be trying to live out of new desires. That's the most authentic life you could ever have. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means means that self-discovery is discovering Christ in me as my desires become the desires of Christ. And so how do we how do we do this together? Like how, how do we pursue this together at Sojourn? Like together as a church, what do we what do we do? Here, here's how we pursue it together at Sojourn. We pursue it together at Sojourn as a gospel family. As a as a gospel family. Listen to me. We talk about this over and over and over. And so if you're tired of hearing about it, you're not going to stop hearing about it. So start getting not tired of hearing about it. Sinclair Ferguson, the primary metaphor for the church is family. Not the only metaphor, but the primary metaphor. And so we are adopted brothers and sisters, adopted together as children of God. That will come to bear on who we are and who we want to be and become. And so we are a gospel family, and gospel families are honest, they're vulnerable, and they're welcoming. Gospel families look at our neighbors, they they look at one another, and they know that, that you don't have to believe in in Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian to be welcomed here. Listen, we are and we will always be a church for the unchurched. We will be a church that is hospitable to my non-Christian neighbors and my non-Christian family. And so if you have questions about Christianity, if you have doubts, if you're curious, if, if if you think, man, this just sounds like a lot of nonsense, this is a safe place to say, this sounds like a lot of nonsense, but I want to dialogue about it. I want to wrestle through it. Those are conversations that we love to have. We, we love to have those honest conversations that say, I, I hear um, this and I like this piece of Christianity, but I, I don't really like this. Like I love the love part, but I don't really love the judgment day part. And, 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 and I'd love to talk about that because the reality is that judgment day actually leads to a lot of hope. Right? right? So, Judgment Day is how you can sit under Hitler and survive. We'd love to talk about that. It actually brings a lot of hope. It's good. Anyways, we, we want to be a church where, where questions and doubts and fears are open and welcome and invited. It's who we are and who we're going to be and become. And then we live out this gospel family in what we call neighborhood parishes. These smaller expressions of the church's family where people are introduced to Jesus and then taught how to live. It's what we do in a neighborhood parish. We introduce people to Jesus and we teach them how to live. 
That's what we do. It's not complicated. It's not complex. It's places that we discover Christ in each other. And here's why we, uh, here's why we multiply neighborhood parishes. Here's why multiplication of our neighborhood parishes is as central to who we are at Sojourn as it is. Here's why. You ready? Go therefore. Go therefore. Why do we multiply parishes? Go therefore. In fulfillment of Matthew 6 and Genesis 1, go therefore. We multiply new neighborhood parishes. This is a piece of how we try to live out that calling in Genesis 1 to go and spread the image of God to the ends of the earth, to bring our world, to bring this, um, this portion of the city, this portion of the country that we live in, this Houston, this Heights, to bring it under the rule and reign of God and to see the grace of God extend throughout us. That's why we multiply parishes. And so to do it and to do it effectively, uh, we're starting what we call seasons of multiplication. Uh, where a couple times a year uh, we will multiply new neighborhood parishes. We won't just do it randomly throughout the year. We'll do it uh, um, at these different pointed times throughout the year in an effort to be more structured and more systematic in how we develop and train new leaders. And so in this first kind of season of multiplication, we want to introduce a couple of new parish leaders to you. And by we, I mean Dodds is going to come up uh, and introduce a couple of new parish leaders to you guys. So go ahead and come on up.